Hey, what's up? My name is Stephen, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. Last week, um, closing out our series on the Holy Spirit. Have you guys enjoyed it? I've really enjoyed it. I have learned a lot, even though I've been walking with the Lord for, you know, a long time now, since I was, you know, 12 and then baptized with the Holy Spirit on the day after my 18th birthday and just kind of walking in this. And I've learned so much, um, even as I've been preparing to teach you guys. And so as we're finishing up this series, I want you guys to keep in mind that, that this is one of the things that Paul talks about is a mystery in some sense when we're looking at how we interact and how we live and how we walk with the power and the relationship with the Holy Spirit. And he even says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. He says, this then is how you ought to regard us. And he's actually talking about himself and Apollos. And it's like, this is how the church should, should, should look at their pastors, at their leaders, um, as servants of Christ and those that entrusted, that are entrusted with the mysteries that God has revealed. And another translation says this, that, that we are to be stewards of the mysteries of God. And that there are some things um, as we're walking this faith life in a relationship with Christ, there are some things that no matter how long we've been walking with the Lord, there's still going to be a little bit of a mystery about it because we're not going to figure everything out. Are you guys okay with that? I know there are some people that like to have all the details and know everything, but when it comes to understanding our Heavenly Father and the vastness of His power and the vastness of His presence, we can't always fully understand everything. And so what we have to do as pastors and as teachers is we have to steward, which means to take good care of those things which are mysteries. And so every couple of years, we'll probably come back to this topic of how do we walk in and do an in-depth study on, on how do we walk in the power and the presence and relationship with the Holy Spirit. Um, and so we're going to camp out today in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Um, so if you want to turn there, we're going to look at several passages up and down that chapter. And just remember that that um, 1 and 2 Corinthians, we call them books of the Bible, but they're not really books, okay? Most of the New Testament, the epistles, they are letters that this guy, Paul, wrote to the church, the churches there, um, to give direction, to give instruction, to give encouragement, and even to give a little bit of correction at times. And when you read the books of 1 and 2 Corinthians, there's, there's a lot of correction. There's also some encouragement, but there's, there's a lot of correction. And so we're going to start here in verse 1 and verse 2, and then we'll just read different verses throughout this chapter. So if you're in 1 Corinthians 14, say word. Awesome. If not, it's on the screen. So it says this. He says, let love be your highest what? Goal. Let love be your highest goal. Now, before I go any further, I want you to understand that is Avenue Church's highest goal. 
Like we want people to experience the unconditional love of Christ. Everything that we do comes from that place. And Paul is saying, look, let love be your highest goal. And so he's just finished up 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is the, lang- the, the, the chapter on what? Love. It says that faith, hope, and love are the greatest, right? Or, or all of these will, will last, faith, hope, and love, but love is the greatest. So he says, let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives. And we talked last week about these being spiritual gifts. And he says, especially the ability to prophesy. And a lot of times we look at this word prophesy and prophecy, and we think it's some spooky thing, but it's really just saying what God says. Sometimes we prophesy out of the word of God. Sometimes we prophesy out of our spirit. But it is saying to someone, saying to to a group of people what God has said. And then he goes in verse 2 and he says, For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God, since people won't be able to understand you. You will be speaking by the power of the what? Spirit. But it will all be what? Mysterious. And sometimes we, we, we look at that word mysterious and, you know, if you come from a, and I don't like this terminology, this phrase, but it is the only um, vernacular, the, the only phrase that I can kind of use. If you come from a spirit field, now as believers, we are all filled with God's spirit, right? Amen. We're all filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, he's leading and guiding us. But if you come from a charismatic spirit filled background, uh, this can seem a little spooky. This can seem a little mysterious. But what I want to do today is, is to talk about the Holy Spirit and tongues. Because Paul says, if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you'll only be talking to God. So we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit and tongues. Everybody take a deep breath and let it out. That's, that's mostly for me, not for you, okay? Because this is one of these things, because we are um, still a new church. Most all of us, including myself, we are still new and we're still getting to know each other. Even some of my launch team who was with us from December 19, 2019, um, all through COVID, we're still getting to know each other. And for those of us who are still new, um, I don't want this to be something that you find out years later and you're like, why didn't anybody tell me? It's like if you've ever had that boyfriend or girlfriend and you've been dating them for a while, a few months or a year, and then maybe Maybe you get married to them and you find out they have this weird special ability that's really cool, but also really weird. And you're like, I don't know what to do with this. Well, if you're married, you have to stay married to them, right? If you're dating, you, you, you can make this decision. Do we break up? Do I stay with them? What do I do? And so I don't want you um, to find out years down the road that, oh, they're tongue talkers. I can't, I don't. I don't want you to break up with us is what I'm saying, right? Because we would not break up with you. But what I want to do is bring clarity today to this. um, And there's going to be some application, but it's going to be information. Because many of us in this service and the next service are maybe coming from a church background to where this gift was not stored well. And there's some misunderstanding. And I even am in relationship with people that have been wounded by teachings like this um, because they were made to feel less than. But then there are people that I believe that, that also, and I've said this you know, all throughout this message, that are missing potential and the power that God has for their life because they're afraid and they're, they're, they're uninformed. 
And so I want to bring us into the place of understanding and being informed. And so I, I really want to help um, to not make this so weird. So there's going to be some application, but it's really going to be information to alleviate, alleviate any fear or confusion um, for this in our lives. And so we see the first description of tongues taking place in Acts chapter 2. And we talked about this, you know, three weeks ago with the baptism of the Holy Spirit that, that on the day of Pentecost, which was just a festival that, that all the children of Israel had been celebrating for years and the, and the Holy Spirit outpouring took place. And it said all the disciples were in the upper room and they began to speak in other tongues there at that um, festival. And we see throughout the book of Acts with the baptism of the Holy Spirit that when that took place, there was the speaking of other languages, other tongues by those who received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, as Luke is writing in the book of Acts, he is a, um, he's a physician who's acting as a research journalist, so to speak. And so what he is giving throughout that book is a description of what he learned through his investigation, through his interviews, through his conversations, as he was trying to find out about how the church was, was, was formed and how the Holy Spirit was poured out. And what has happened is, is we want to take this, um, this descriptive um, information and churches have, have wanted to make it a prescriptive declaration. Because what the book of Acts is, is it is the description of the beginning of the church through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And when we see the baptism of the Holy Spirit with speaking in tongues, that is a description of what is taking place. Are you guys with me? But what happens a lot of times is churches will take that description and they will make it a prescription of what is supposed to happen. Okay? And so here's what, what I want us to understand, okay, from, from our standpoint, our viewpoint as a church is tongues are a gift and a benefit of the Holy Spirit, not the evidence because there are people that are walking with the power of the Holy Spirit that maybe don't have an understanding of tongues yet, right? They're, they're, they're walking with the fruit of the Holy Spirit, but maybe they, they haven't, you know, spoke in tongues yet. And so here's, and, and the best thing I can do is just read this from my study, because there is, there is no way, and this is coming from Robert Morris. He says, there is no way to get around the scriptural correlation between the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon a person and the very visible results of a person receiving the ability to praise, to pray, to prophesy in an unknown language. And it can happen instantly. It can happen weeks down the road. It can happen months or even years down the road, depending on your level of understanding, not your level of goodness, Okay? And I said this, and I'll continue to say this. We can never be good enough for God to love us anymore and have gifts anymore for us. We can never be bad enough for him to love us any less. You guys remember that. Okay? But what we have to, have to know is that for some of us, these phrases of the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues has almost been super glued together. You guys with me? And we can't separate the two. And so what's happened is this word evidence has caused a lot of hurt in people's lives. And maybe that's you. And maybe you're like, that's not me. I'm not. 
But I want to bring healing today for those of you who, who have been walking in this inferior feeling of faith because you have not produced evidence, okay? And this, this, the use of the word evidence tends to turn what is a beautiful, intimate gift for an individual is something to be judged and evaluated by others. When I read that, that stuck me like a knife because I know people that have not had the evidence and they have felt judged and they have felt devaluated by those who had the gift. You guys with me? Not if you're with me. I know this is, this is deep. But here at Avenue Church, we are not going to evaluate you based on what you have or what you don't have. We're going to evaluate you through the lens of the love of God. And so, but part of what God has for us in this gifting is the power of the Holy Spirit and this gift and benefit of speaking in tongues. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, he said this again. He says, for if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you're talking only to who? God. Since people won't be able to understand you, and you will be speaking by the power of the Spirit. So, so when we're looking at the speaking in tongues, it is in another language, simply put, that you did not learn and that you probably can't understand. And Paul talks about if I speak in tongues of men and tongues of angels and don't have love, then I'm only a sounding gong. So when we read that, that there, and, and we'll look here in Scripture, that there are tongues, there are languages that are heavenly that we can't understand, but then there are also obviously languages like other nationality languages that we can't speak and understand, right? Anybody speak Spanish? I don't, right? I need a translator. Anybody speak French? My oldest daughter was taking Latin. I didn't even know like they were still teaching that, right? I can't speak any of that. So there are languages, and we'll see in Scripture, that, that have been used to proclamate and proclaim the gospel, Okay? Verse 14, or verses 13 and 14, same chapter. So anyone who speaks in tongues should pray also for the ability to interpret what has been said. For if I say in tongues, for if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, but I don't understand what I'm saying. So Paul here is saying, look, if I speak in tongues, there should be an interpretation. But if I pray in tongues, I don't know what I'm saying. My spirit is praying. And those who are misunderstood or misinformed or uninformed, we just want to lump tongues all into one big category, Right? And we want to avoid it all. But what Paul is pointing out here is there are actually like, there, there, there are, are two uses of tongues in our life. Two uses of a heavenly language, of another language in our life. There is a public setting, and then there is a private setting. There is a public setting where it takes place that is meant to proclaim the gospel and to edify and to build up the church. But then there's also a private setting, which is in our prayer life, that is meant to edify and build up ourselves. And Jesus says this, that, that you are to go into your prayer closet and speak to your Father who is unseen. And so that is where praying in tongues, as what Paul is saying, that when I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, and I don't know what I'm saying. All right, let's go down to verse 22 through 24, okay? Um, so you see... Speaking in tongues is a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, 
Prophecy, however, is for the benefit of believers, not unbelievers. Now, now here's where it gets a little confusing, and, and we'll straighten it out. Look at your neighbor and say, straighten it out. You're like, I don't even know what to say in this point, all right? So verse 23 says, even so, I believe, even so, if unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your church meeting and hear everyone speaking in an unknown language, they will think you're what? Crazy. So it's almost like, and, and it's just so we all feel comfortable here, has anyone ever been in one of those services? Like the first time you were in one of those services and you hear people speaking or praying in tongues, you're like, these people are out of their mind. The first time I experienced it at 16 years old in a small um, rural Adamsville, I thought I did not realize we had this diverse of a community in Adamsville. What is happening? And so Paul is wanting to bring some direction and some encouragement um, to the church here. And it almost sounds like he's contradicting contradicting himself. He says, it is a sign for an unbeliever. He says, so speaking in tongues is a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. But then you go down to the next verse. He says, if an unbeliever, someone who comes in doesn't understand what they are saying, they're thinking that you're all crazy. So he says, all right, this is a sign for unbelievers. But if unbelievers come into your congregation and all this is taking place, they're gonna think that you're crazy. Right now, we're probably thinking, Paul, are you crazy? Do you even know what you're saying? And so what we're seeing here is actually two uses of a public tongue. Okay, so one is a sign for unbelievers. How is it signed for unbelievers? We see this in Acts chapter two. This is the first outpouring of the Holy Spirit when, when the disciples receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and they're at the festival of Pentecost and there's all these um, Jewish uh, followers, there are all these Jews from, from other nations that are there for the festival. They all speak different languages and when the disciples receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they begin speaking in another language that is not their own, but those that are around can hear it and understand it, okay? So that is a sign for those who are unbelievers. Does that make sense? It's like, all right, how does this, how does this work? Um, a pastor friend of mine who has been an influence in my life for many years, Pastor John Siebling, Life Church in Memphis. He's a part of the ARC or part of the board for Association of Related Churches. Um, shares this story that when he was a youth pastor growing up in Louisiana, you would go to Mardi Gras to witness. How many of you want to go to that, right? It's like craziness there. And so he and his youth pastor are walking the street during Mardi Gras, and his youth pastor's praying. Uh, Pastor John, as a teenager, he's praying, and his youth pastor begins to pray, and the spirit begins to pray in tongues. And there's a crowd, and the guys, there's, there's a crowd of guys in front of him, and he stops, and he turns around, and he looks at Pastor John's youth pastor and said, what did you say? And of course, he just kind of freaked out, and he was like, uh, nothing, I was just praying. He said, no, say what you just said. And he's like, well, I was praying in the spirit. And the guy was like, I don't care. Just say what you said. And so he prayed that prayer again in the spirit, saying the same thing. And this guy was from the Middle East, and he was, Pastor John's youth pastor was speaking his language. And he said, do you have any idea what you're saying? And Pastor John's like, no, dude, I'm just praying. 
And he said, you are speaking in my language and you're saying you must worship the one true God. I get goosebumps just telling it, like every time I hear the story. And so in, in that moment, they had an opportunity. This guy was Muslim. And in that moment, they had an opportunity to share the gospel because of that supernatural experience. And the guy gave his life to Christ right there in that moment. And so, see, we try to put God in a box and thinks he only operates in certain ways. But his ways, and I prayed this earlier, are not like our ways. His thoughts are not like our thoughts. They are, they are way higher than anything that we could understand. And so, in this setting, tongues in another language is for the unbeliever. Now, when we see here, he also says that, that when you come into a place, um, that, that there should be an interpretation. So there is an edification of the church through tongues with tongues and interpretation. Now, some of you may have been in a service like this where there's, there's a worship experience and maybe people are just praying and there's a pause and, and the experience at the end and like all of a sudden someone just starts shouting out and, and something that you can't understand and you're like, what just happened? That is a public confession or profession in tongues within a church believer setting that is meant to build up the church. And a lot of times it is followed, most of the times Paul says it should be followed by an interpretation, not a translation. Because in that point, it is not an earthly language. You guys with me? It is a heavenly language that someone has a gift to interpret. And we talked about last week that there is the gift of tongues and then the gift of what? Interpretation. So in that moment, that is a moment for the church. That is a moment for the believers that are gathered to be encouraged, to be challenged, um, to be equipped in that moment by not just the tongues that we can't understand. That's just like hitting the pause button and God showing up and just be like, look, you got to pay attention to what's about to happen. That gets your attention. And then it's the interpretation. I was Pastor John or John and Pastor John and, and I were at a conference last month, um, art conference, and we're talking like 8,000 like pastors there from all different denominations and walks because we're a part of association of related churches, but it's not just all Pentecostals. You've got some Baptists in there. You've got some, you know, assemblies in there. You've got some non-denom. And so we're all at this conference. And the last night at the end of the message and a time of worship, and there was some altar ministry, some pastors being prayed over. And then on one side of the arena, in just a moment of dead silence, someone shouted a tongue, like just loud. It just, you could have heard a pin drop. And then instantly, as soon as he finished, there was an interpretation of what was said that was speaking to the pastors there. God reminding his people that he is with them. And this last two years has probably been one of the hardest years to pastor a church, to be a teacher, to be a leader, to be a, a medical profession. But, but God reminded us in that moment that he is still with us and not forsaking us. And, but it was that moment of a heavenly language, a heavenly tongue that caught our attention. It was like, wait a minute something's different here. Does that make sense? Okay. And so we, we, we have these two operations of the, the, the gifts of tongues within a public setting with other people around. But then Paul makes this statement. He says, if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, but I don't know what I'm saying. Um, 
you know, we did a, you know, every time, a couple of times a year, we will do a, a message or a series just on the importance of praying. And, and, and I've shared with you guys, like when I went to work as the executive pastor of my previous church, one of the requirements we had before we could go into our office, we had to go somewhere and pray for 30 minutes. Now, I've always prayed, but praying for 30 minutes just seemed like a really long time. And I thought, I can do this. But like five minutes in, I'm like, it's been 30 minutes, right? No, it's only been five minutes, yo. And I'm like, all right, 15 minutes? Oh, man, we got like, I got like another five minutes. <laughs> it's like, that's going to seem like forever. And, and how many of you know there have been times where you just run out of things to say? In your prayers, you just run out of things to say. But something within you still feels like you need to keep praying, right? So, so what do you say? Well, this is, this is what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. He says, he says this, he says, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Okay, we've, we've determined the Holy Spirit is, gives us empowerment, gives us strength. And he says, for example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed with words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's will. Okay, so there are moments like, and so if you're if you're sitting next to me sometimes over here, and 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 we're worshiping, and there's a pause, and I'm praying, you might hear me praying in tongues. If you're a part of the A team and you've been on the front row sitting here or in the back as I'm walking, there are moments where, where I'm praying in my understanding, which we'll read in a moment about Paul. But then there are also moments where I'm like, I don't know what to pray, so I'm just going to pray. But it's going to be under my breath because if somebody is misunderstood and they hear that, guess what they're going to think I am? Crazy, right? Because in that moment, it's not for them. It is for me. It is a conversation that is taking place between my spirit and God's spirit. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 5 and 8, just going you know, back to 1 Corinthians 14. He says, well then. So he says, when, when I'm praying in tongues, I don't know what I'm saying, but my spirit is praying. And he says, well then, what shall I do? I will pray in the spirit and I will also pray in words that I understand. I will sing in the spirit and I will also sing in words I understand. For if you praise God only in the spirit, how can those who don't understand you praise God along with you? How can they join you in giving thanks when they don't understand what you are saying? You will be giving thanks very well, but it won't strengthen the people you hear and he says this, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. And so as we're praying in tongues, as we're praying, and you come from the church background, you hear praying in the spirit, praying in tongues. What is happening is your spirit is being edified. Your spirit is being strengthened. And Paul says that we are praying out mysteries that we don't know. But we shouldn't just do that. We should also pray with our mind, pray with our understanding, pray with, with our language that other people can understand because if they hear us, then they are edified. And, and honestly, there's been times where I've been praying for someone and I'm praying for them in English in my understanding and then I will pause and I will begin praying in the spirit, but very quietly because I don't want to freak them out because it's between me and God. And then I will be able to speak something over them and to them based off what they're going through and what the Holy Spirit has shared with me, 
right? This is part of the mysteries that Paul has told us that we're stewards of. And it can be scary if we don't understand it. And I want to pull back the curtain and not make it scary. Make it something that, 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 that you want to pursue as you grow closer in your walk with Christ. So, so let's, let's answer some questions. Because I'm sure you all have questions, right? Any questions? No, I'm just kidding. I don't want you to raise your hand, <laughs> right? But, but I have some questions that I have wrestled through in my life. Now, if you do have questions... Obviously, I want to answer them. Email me, Stephen at OurAvenueChurch.com or come see me after church. But some questions that I've wrestled through through the years and talked with others is like, first, how do I speak in tongues? Like, like how does that even happen? Because there's been a lot of bad teaching and bad experiences. In college once, I went to a small denominational spirit-filled church with a guy named Sam from California who was an ex-gang member, and then Jeff, a um, little Church of Christ guy. And we went to this very, very, very charismatic Pentecostal church, and it was small, smaller than the congregation we have here. And the reason churches like that are small is guess who they're more concerned about? Themselves. And they get caught up in these services that are about building emotion that are all about themselves and not being mindful that unbelievers are coming to your services, right? And so we're in this service and I go up to be prayed for, for a refilling of the Holy Spirit that I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit while I was in high school and then life happened. My parents went through a divorce. Jennifer and I were dating at the time. We broke up and I joined a fraternity and I was seeking all the world's ways of trying to um, fix what was broken on the inside of me. But I knew I needed to get back to church and so I went with my friend Sam to this church and I was like, I knew I'd had the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life at a point, but I knew he hadn't left me, but guess what I'd done? I'd left him. And so I go up to be prayed over to receive the just a refilling of the Holy Spirit and craziness is just going on around me. And the couple that was praying for me could tell I was distracted. And so they took me to a back room in the church. You know, that's not good, right? And so they take you, it's like, Sam, eye contact, like, like I'm here. And so we're going back in and, and we're praying, we're praying. And then something out of order, and the scripture talks about everything must be done in order. And I didn't know it then, but I do now. Um, the lady that was there, she was um, from um, Taiwan, so she spoke um, Mandarin. And so after a while, like, I wasn't praying in tongues like she thought I should. And so she said, just repeat after me. And so she would speak a prayer in her native language and ask me to repeat it. Guess what, guys? That's not how you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that's not how you receive a prayer language. How you receive it is you get along with God and you just do this. You just ask for the gift. You just ask for the gift. Now, what happens is we think it's going to happen right there. For some of you, it may. For some of you, it may be weeks. For some of us, it may be months because Scripture talks about we have these strongholds in our minds. And it's things from, from either improper teaching or fear or experiences that is kind of a blockade from allowing us to walk in this gifting, right? Um, and then the second thing that we have to do is, so we ask for it, and then we just surrender our will, and we act in faith. And, and to be quite honest, isn't that our whole walk with Jesus? 
So why should this be any different? As, as we surrender our will in a relationship with Jesus and we take that step in faith, we surrender our will with any of the spiritual gifts we talked about last week and we act in faith, right? It's not like these things just happen. Um, and so it's those two simple things. And so if you're curious, guys, about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and, and receiving what, you know, Paul talks about a prayer language to be able to pray in the Spirit and just ask and then just take a step in faith. You may have something well up on the inside of you that sounds crazy. If you're by yourself, just let it out. Because how many of you know that if you're praying out loud by yourself and somebody walks by, guess what they're going to think about you? Probably crazy. Like, who are they talking to? right? And it's the same thing really with this, is you just have to take a step of faith. So how do I speak in tongues? You ask for it and then just surrender your will and act in faith. The second question is this, what if I open myself up to something evil? Because it's like, I don't understand it. So it's got to be bad, right? It's not the normal today. So it's got to be bad, right? Could it be an evil spirit? That's one of the things. Like when I started going to a Pentecostal church, I was like, they're crazy. They've got an evil spirit. I don't want that, right? But let's see what Jesus says, okay? Let's go to Luke chapter 10. Um, Luke chapter 10. This is after Jesus sends out the apostles to do ministry. And they come back and they're rejoicing about, they're saying the, 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 the demons and the evil spirits obeyed us just like you said. We were able to heal people just like you said. The kingdom of God has been proclaimed. And Jesus says, as a matter of fact, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And then he says this, because they're rejoicing. But in verses 19 and 20, he says, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions to overcome all the powers of the enemy. Nothing will harm you, but this is key to, however, do not rejoice that the spirits or evil spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And so people take this out of context and say, okay, I can trample on snakes and scorpions. As we did a missions trip in Jolo, West Virginia one time, and it's the snake handling capital of the country when it comes to those charismatic churches. And so we were doing um, some, some like housework on this family whose pastor came over and his hands were all like knotted up. Um, it's because they were a part of a snake handling church. And in case you don't know, it's like they take this scripture literally to where they bring snakes out and they play with them. How weird is that? You guys think what I'm teaching about is weird? This is way weirder. And so he had been bitten so many times that his hands were drawn up, crazy stuff. And so people take this verse literally, but when we, when we see this, that we can trample on snakes and scorpions, those aren't snakes and scorpions, like literally, those are evil spirits. Snake is symbolic of Satan himself. We see that in, in, in Genesis. Scorpions are symbolic of his evil spirits, right? And so he says, look, you can trample over, you have dominion over all these evil spirits. Now let's go to the next chapter, Luke chapter 11. Jesus in this chapter is talking about prayer. He's giving the disciples a, a, a kind of a pattern how to pray. And then he gets to verse 11. He says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a what? Snake um, instead. Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion 
If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give, what does that say? The Holy Spirit. And so what Jesus is saying, look, if, if, if you're asking for something good, why would your heavenly Father give you something evil? And so could it be that he's also referencing not just actual snakes and scorpions, but he's representing why would God give us, why would our heavenly Father give us an evil spirit but the Holy Spirit is his spirit, right? Because with me, I know this is, this is deep. And then we see this in James. James chapter one, verses 16 through 17. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is, what is that word? Say it again. Whatever is what? Good. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens, and he never changes or casts a shadow. So God's not going to give you something evil. He's going to give you something powerful to build you up and to build up the church. The other question I was always asking myself is like, well, what if I can't control it? Like, what if I'm just in Kroger and I'm grocery shopping and the Holy Spirit comes on me and I just start speaking in tongues right there in the middle of everything? That's not how gifts work, okay? Um, those of you who have the gift of giving, right? Um, the checks just don't jump out of your pocket, right? That would be awesome, right? That would be great. Those of you who have the gift of mercy, you see someone who is broken, guess what you have to do? You have to walk over to that person. You have to choose to use that gift. For those of you who have the gift of hospitality, who like to open up your home to people, people aren't just gonna show up and be like, heard you had the gift of hospitality. Let's party. No, you have to choose to use that gift. You can choose to use it, choose not to use it, choose when to use it, a gift is ours to use. And so you're not gonna lose control over, over the ability. Paul says this in, in 1 Corinthians 14, in verses 32 and 33, he says, remember that people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can take turns. For God is not a God of what? Is it on the screen? He's not a water, God of what? Disorder, but of what, guys? Peace. As in all meetings, as in all meetings. Now, now, now here's, here's what happens. If we do completely surrender to the spirit of God, we choose to lose control to our flesh. We choose to surrender that control and we allow the Holy Spirit to take control. But even then, we have the ability to choose. We've said this the whole series. In the Old Testament, Moses says, I place before you, Life and death, I wish that you would choose life. Paul says that we have the decision to make. Are we going to follow after the desires of the flesh or after the desires of the spirit? We get to choose. And Moses says, I wish that you would choose life. And Paul says, I wish that you would choose the spirit. And so everything that we've talked about over these last several weeks, if we completely surrendered to the Holy Spirit, allowing him to move us, direct us, flow in his power, moving in our life, recognizing his role in our life, guys, as a comforter, as a helper, as a director. He comes alongside of us, understanding that when we say yes to him, that we experience a new birth through his work, an empowerment of 
the Spirit, walking in the gifts of the Spirit and using those to build up those around us and then pursuing this heavenly language to be able to pray when we don't know what to pray. All of that is great, but you want to know, and this is the final thing I want you guys to know and understand about the Holy Spirit, his main purpose in our life. The most important gift that we receive from the Holy Spirit is our relationship with God. That is the most important gift. Whether you understand all the other stuff or not, the most important thing that I want you to understand about his purpose and power in your life is to help you grow in your relationship with God, to help you understand this word better, to help you understand God's work that he's done in your life to a greater degree. And so I want us to pray with every head bowed and every eye closed. And if you don't have a relationship with God here today, There is not anything that you have to do. And I believe even in messages like this, the Holy Spirit can be drawing and working on the inside of us. And we know that there is an external call through the word of God, but then there is also an internal call when, when his spirit joins with our spirit, awakening our spirit so that we can call out Abba, Father, as Paul says in Romans. And then it's in that moment we become his son, we become his daughter. And for some of you, maybe in this room, you've, you've walked away from dad's house. Maybe you didn't know that, that you had a place in dad's house, in the father's house. There's nothing that you have to do except scriptures tells us that we have to repent. We have to turn away from our life and follow a life after God. We have to acknowledge our sins. We have to acknowledge that Christ has paid the penalty for our sins, that he was buried for our sins, and he rose again so that we might have new life. There's All the work is done. Like the, like the physical labor is done. For you and I, the only thing that is left is just saying, yes, Jesus, I give you my life. I'm sorry for what I've done. I want to follow you. I believe you have good things planned for me. Please forgive me. Whatever that looks like for you, it's not my words that save you, but it's yours. And I want to pray with you as you pray, and I want to invite you, if that's you today, would you just lift your hand so I can be praying with you as you're praying at your seat with every head bowed. Nobody's looking. It's not about anybody else. It's just about you and your moment with God right now. together. Father, I just come to you this morning and I thank you for these hands that were raised. And I thank you for the hearts that were raised. I thank you that your word is changing us and transforming us and strengthening us to be more like your son. And God, for those that lifted their hands or lifted their hearts in this moment, God, I pray that they're saying yes to you. They're saying, Jesus, I give you my life. May not fully understand all the road that's ahead and that's not gonna be the only thing that's ever said, but it's the start of a conversation that in my heart, I pray lasts their entire life and continues into eternity. God, that, that the guilt and shame that they feel has brought them to this place, but now you're going to exchange that guilt and shame 
for righteousness, for confidence, not in who they are, but in who you are. And I just want to invite the rest of us just to kind of open our hands just as a sign of surrender. And if you feel comfortable, Father, I just thank you for your Holy Spirit and its power at work in our life in a great mysterious way that we might not could understand fully. But God, I pray that we would be a church and that we would be a people that would pursue all that you have for us, even when we don't understand it, but that we would trust that you are, that, that you are good and that your purpose for us is good. The gifts that you have for us are good. The direction that you're placing us in and leading us towards is good. So God, let your spirit lead us. Let it guide us. Let it strengthen us. Let it empower us. Let it move in us in ways that maybe we may not understand, but we can point it back to you. Not just so that we can be transformed, but so our families can be transformed. So generations can be transformed. So our community and even our nation can be transformed. That the greatest gift that your spirit has given us is our relationship with you. So Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word and we thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name, all God's people said.